everyone, and welcome to Best Thoughts. I'm Will Johns. And I'm Rick Johns. We're glad to be with you for another episode. And we're glad to get past that controversy of who's taller because now we know we're both the same height. So that's good news. <laughs> but now, Will, I can't, I can't believe this is happening, but there's another controversy with that picture. Oh, brother. Yeah, people are debating the color of your shirt. <laughs> a lot of people are thinking it's pinkish purple. <laughs> it's clearly a blue shirt. Well, it's going viral right now, and people are losing their minds about it. You know, some people are even saying if, asking if it's a dress. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, I guess uh, I'm ready for that women's line of clothing to sponsor our podcast, Rick. Uh, All right. So you heard it. You heard it here first. We're ready. Any women's clothing line, Will is, he's okay with it. I tell you, it's a blue shirt. That's what it is. That's what I see. I am certain of it. You'll have to prove it some other way. But for now, today's topic is talking about certainty and how does that apply because our guidepost number five in Brene Brown's book Gifts of Imperfection is cultivating intuition and trusting faith letting go of the need for certainty so what did you think about this chapter Will do you do you think we wrestle with this as humans Um, I know that I definitely do and and my guess is that a lot of uh People listening to us right now also wrestle with this and may, may not have thought about it a whole lot. Uh, but let me give you a story from, from my experience to, to just illustrate what we're talking about when we are talking about letting go of the need for certainty. Uh, certainty is not something that we talk about a whole lot, uh, but it's probably in the background driving most of the decisions that we make hmm. or don't make. And um, an example for me, uh, I can remember just just a few years ago, uh, I was doing some grocery shopping. I was kind of tired a little bit. And uh, I remember getting uh, to the pasta aisle looking for some spaghetti sauce, some tomato sauce uh, for for the pasta that I was buying. And uh, I was overwhelmed with the number of choices that were available to me. And uh, there was, you know, uh, just your typical marinara. There was one with some (laughs) vegetables in it. There was, you know, tomato basil. There was a garlic one. There was a four cheese. Uh, Not to mention about 12 different brands, at least. Uh, Different prices. There was some that were on sale. There were some that were very expensive that were supposed to be homemade and, you know, like really top quality. And I just sat there and I'm not exaggerating. It was probably, you know, 10 to 15 minutes looking at the choices um, and trying to decide. And I, and I, I, I was struggling to make up my mind because with each choice, the uncertainty would creep in. Well, what if that other one is better? Well, maybe the expensive one is worth the money. Well, maybe the cheapest one tastes just as good and I'll save money. You know, do I want garlic in there? I don't know. Do I want basil? Do I want four cheeses? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you could go crazy with this stuff. And and it shows that uh, sometimes, 
you know, it, it probably would have helped me, Rick, now that I'm thinking about this story, if I had been shopping with someone else and said, what do you think? Yeah. You know, they probably could have jarred me loose from my paralysis there of, of not being able to decide on yeah. a tomato sauce. Were you worried that uh, you would bring one home and your family would be like, why'd you pick that one? <laughs> I don't know if that was in, in my mind. I mean, it's certainly always a worry for me when I grocery shop <laughs> because uh, my choices are always second guessed. Um, <laughs> so, you know, by my family. So, so that's certainly <laughs> in the background. But but I think, you know, I think there was some perfectionism there. Like, what I want to get the perfect tomato sauce, you know. Yeah. And maybe and maybe going back, you know, to our episode on authenticity, you know, maybe just not knowing myself well enough to know, yep, this is the one I like. Yeah. And and uh, a footnote on that story, now I, I have a much clearer idea of what, which brands that I like and which version of that brand and so my time in the tomato sauce aisle is way quicker. <laughs> but that's one of the gifts of certainty. You know, once once a decision is made, uh, certainty can really help speed up the process. Right. And I think even from childhood, you know, we train our children, you've got to make the right decision. We We read them bedtime stories that have morals, you know, and we warn them about dangerous things decisions and bad decisions and don't do this and don't be like Johnny. I know for you and I growing up in the church, um, there were a lot of children's stories and stories in bedtime story books that we had that just really warned us about. And they would always use some poor kid that uh, made the terrible choice and look at the terrible consequences, you know. Uh, Sally ate the uh, ate too much dessert and then she got a bad tummy ache and she missed out on all the fun that night or you know there's always some moral about I, I remember Rick one story that just kind of traumatized me a little bit as a child because they had this picture of the little girl who wanted more jam and her mom had made a whole shelf full of jam of strawberry jam mm. and uh, she was told not to go in there and bother it but of course she did and when she went in she knocked the shelf down on herself which broke the jars and she was covered with jam, but the picture looked like she was covered with blood. No. And so I was traumatized. <laughs> wow. This, this poor little girl's horrible decision. Yeah. Now she's got all this bloody jam on her. Yeah. Good, good picture to scare the kids into behaving right. Oh no. But I think especially in that kind of environment, and I'm not at all suggesting parents shouldn't try to teach their children right from wrong, but just for any of any of you who are listening thinking, well, I'm not sure. I don't have, I don't struggle with certainty. I, I know what pasta sauce I like, so this isn't my issue. <laughs> um, it is our issue in a sense. I think we're all uh, very vulnerable to that idea of, I have to get it right. I have to make the right decision I have to be certain. I have to know. And I don't know anybody that hasn't struggled. And it may not be pasta sauce for other people, but it will be something. And yes. when it comes to those big decisions, you know, choosing a mate, uh, choosing a house to live in, choosing a job or a career, I mean, sometimes those can be just agonizing decisions to make because we're just not sure. Uh, absolutely, Rick. Like the 
this is where this issue gets real is the bigger the decision, uh, the more likely we are to crave certainty. And, and the problem with an over craving of certainty is, is that it will lead us um, to become inauthentic over time. Because if we, if we really, really crave certainty, we're going we're gonna to start asking other people to tell us what to do. Mm. If, if we're not getting that certainty from ourselves, we're going to seek it outside of ourselves. And, and so um, some people in a, in a religious context, they want me as their pastor to tell them what to do. Tell me, pastor, what does God want me to do in this situation? And it's always the type of situation where only they and God would know the answer, you know. And so it's, it's tempting sometimes for me as a, as a pastor to, to give into that and tell someone what to do with their lives. But when I'm um, thinking most clearly and at my best, I'll ask them, you know, what are, what are they sensing is the right decision for them in that, in that situation? Uh, but but let me share with you, Rick, something that happened to me as, as a result of this over need for certainty. Uh, there was a time in my life, and we talked about it in our first episode, um, where I woke up one day and I was like, who gave me this script? Why am, I, why am I living someone else's plan for my life? And one of the ways that I got there is because I needed so much certainty. Hmm. And I was constantly asking other people to tell me what to do in certain situations. And I was not trusting myself. I was not trusting intuition. I was not trusting my faith. And as a result, I ended up living someone else's plan for my life. Yeah. And, and that's why I was so dissatisfied with it. Yeah, and... And I think the answer is roasted garlic and herb. Is, <laughs> is that the sauce you're looking for? I think I could have saved you a lot of time there. If you just come to me, Will. Do you tell that to your members when they come to you asking and, questions? And, and that's precisely why you don't let someone else decide for you, because <laughs> that's not my favorite. <laughs> well, I really liked Brene uh, shared in her chapter here about all the research and the interviews she conducted pointing towards healthy people seem to have this thing that she called a trusting faith. Mm. And this isn't a like religious, legalistic kind of faith. She's not really using the term faith in a strictly religious kind of sense. She's using it in the broader sense of believing in something, believing in something you can't even see. And I wanted to read her definition, Will. Yes. Uh, I, I really like this, actually. So she said, these people that develop a trusting faith, she said, this faith is a place of mystery where we find courage to believe in what we cannot see and the strength to let go of our fear of uncertainty. Mm. That's mm. powerful. Mm. And if you think about it, everybody has to have some faith. Even just sitting in a chair takes a little bit of faith that that chair is going to hold your weight. Yes. Uh, we take a lot of things for granted. We make a lot of assumptions. Uh, and I hope I don't 
put anyone on the track to mental illness by pointing out <laughs> how much we do live by faith in this world. Uh, we do, but at every turn, you're living by faith. You're living by faith that people are going to stay on their side of the road and stop at the red light, and you know it's just a part of life. And so, I'm always, as a pastor, a little um, surprised when someone comes and says, "Well, I don't live by faith. You know, I only go by science and this and that." And I think, well, that's not really possible. Mm. And I'm all for mm. science. I'm all for research. I'm all for data. But at the same time, there's so much of life that you just have to kind of make your best educated guess, <laughs> and you have to go with that. And, and, and when you come down to those big decisions that you were talking about earlier, and even the small ones, you know, when you think about it, um, these are not decisions that can make, be made on data alone. Yeah. You know, we, we have become, I believe, a society that is data obsessed and and there's almost this this unquestioning faith that eventually with enough data will will have will, will answer every question there is to answer right um, and certainly data has its place you know so I, I'm not a hater uh, of, of data you know we need good informed uh, research to make decisions about life however Data can't tell me which spaghetti sauce I like the best, um, you know, unless I take the time to try all 100 options and then keep track of that. Then that data that's specific to me <laughs> might be able to. But data can't tell me who to marry and it can't tell me what career to choose. Um, yeah. You know, these are things that we find through faith, through mystery, through trusting that that uh, that God has a bigger plan in our lives, you know, and we can connect to that, trusting that there's something that God has put inside of me that will direct me in this situation so that I can make the best decision possible that still doesn't have to be a perfect decision. Right, right. And it's interesting that... Uh, Brene combines this chapter with this faith. She combines it with intuition. Mm. And she said, as she was, you know, studying this issue, it became apparent that these people who could have this trusting faith also learn to trust something we might call intuition. So you have to have something more than just data, something more than just, oh, I know for a fact uh, that this is going to be great. You know, how can you, like you said, with uh, marriage, for instance, you could have, and I, you know, I know many people who are divorced who said, I thought she was the perfect woman. I thought he was the perfect guy. And um, so did my family. And so did that, you know, none of us saw this coming. You know, there's, there's no way we can know everything. Yes. And things change. We live in a world of constant change. So Brene says um, these wholehearted individuals learn to live with intuition. And I thought that was interesting. And maybe I should read her definition of intuition because I think it's helpful uh, too for us to understand. So she says, intuition is not a single way of knowing. It's our ability to hold space for uncertainty and our willingness to trust the many ways that we've developed knowledge and insight including instinct, experiences, faith, 
and reason. We can we we know things before we know them. Right. And I think that's especially true with people. If you will learn to listen to your intuition, you will you will have feelings about people that you can't put your finger on, but you just kind of know. And they almost I, I feel like they're they're more helpful and accurate than, you know, just looking at the person's resume or <laughs> looking yes. at the person uh, based on the facts that you know about them. If you just have a creepy feeling or if you just have uh, a few red flags going off in your mind, like, I don't know what's, I don't feel like I can totally trust this person. Uh, most times those, those feelings play out and you, you learn later why you couldn't trust them or, or the opposite, why you feel like you can trust somebody. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's always 100% right, but I think uh, intuition, like you said, Will, is that knowing that goes beyond knowing. And I think it's helpful for us to be aware of it. And, and as Brene says, to learn to trust our gut on some things, we really have to trust our gut. I, I, I totally agree. And I think we're also here uh, trying to describe the difference between making 100% of your decisions with your mind versus, you know, when she talks about the wholehearted person, that's also trusting your heart and your gut, mm. you know, and, and, and basically it means you're factoring your, your emotions into the situation and into the decision. And so when we, when we try to do 100% mind, um, then, then that's, that's when we crave this over need for certainty. Yeah. You know, our mind wants all the facts on our side, you know? Yeah. And, and it's fine to factor the mind and the facts into a decision. I mean, that's, that's necessary. We can go the extreme the other way where someone is like, oh, I'm in love, you know, and, and uh, everything about this person is, is a terrible fit for me and nobody in my family or friends likes them. But my heart says, <laughs> yeah. I got to do this, you know, yeah. so we could we can go to the extreme the other side. Yeah. But, you know, imagine somebody and I, I kind of tried to do this in college at one point, which is, is kind of funny now looking back. Imagine somebody kind of writing down on a piece of paper. OK, here's the qualities of the person that I want to marry. And, and this person seems to have those qualities. And even though I don't feel anything for them. I'm going to try to make a relationship work with them. Yeah. You know, <laughs> taking the Spock, the Spock, the Spock way of approach. doing things. Yes. <laughs> for, our, for our Trekkie fans. Yeah. Spock would be very analytical about his choice. And the other, the other thing that I've realized with, with certain decisions is uh, it feels like I have to figure it all out right now, but sometimes I can make a decision to move forward and then see where that takes me. Yeah. For instance, you know, for somebody's in, in a in a place in their life where you're you're dating someone, you know, choosing to go out on the next date doesn't mean you're going to be married for the next fifty years. You know, so right. <laughs> you can choose to take the next step in the process and then see if that confirms where you think this is going. Um, you know, uh, choosing to test drive a car doesn't mean you're committing to that car for the next 20 years of your life. You know, right. you could take a next step and then see, does that confirm or does that not confirm, you know, the direction I think I need to go? 
But yeah. I, I also want to, you know, just really hit on that, that spirituality, because when we're making our bigger decisions, we really, uh, for me, it's been personally very, very helpful to pray through it, to come to God's presence. And, and I'll tell you, you know, some of you out there who are, who are Christians, who've had been on this faith journey with God for a while, um, you might agree with me on this. Sometimes I get frustrated with God because God does not just tell me what to do. In most cases, nope. I don't get this direct certainty of like, well, you know, <laughs> go and do this. You know, it's, it's like the I, marinara sauce <laughs> by Hunts. It's 99 cents to your bottom left. Take it. Why are you still standing there? Well, hello. <laughs> you know, we, we want that voice. We want We want to just have it nailed down. But... You know, just to get into theology just for 30 seconds here, for whatever reason, God has created us with freedom of choice and for sure. will not take that away from us. And so um, if God wanted robots, we'd all be robot robots and God would just program us to do all the right choices. Yeah. But God created us uh, with the ability to choose and, and so when I ask God to take that away from me, the answer is always no. I have to have a part to play in this. And, yeah. and so for me, Rick, it's just like you. I need that quiet time. I need to get in touch with my gut, with my emotions. Uh, journaling is a very effective practice for me where I just kind yeah. of process through it with journaling. And then, of course, having some, some people that I trust that I, I know that, that care about me, that I know are wise people, to be a sounding board. And, and you'll know you found good people to run an idea by when they don't tell you what to do, they just ask you good questions. Yeah. And um, if I get someone asking me good questions, it can be incredibly helpful in this process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as, as Christians we can kind of go wrong when we want God to tell us everything we're supposed to do. And I see that a lot. And, and it's interesting. There's a quote in, in this chapter from Anne Lamont where she says, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's certainty. Mm. The opposite mm. of faith. We always say the opposite of faith is doubt, but I love that quote. The opposite of faith is not doubt because you need doubt. You need doubt to, to arrive at the truth. If you never doubt anything, then you would never learn the truth. You'd never study or seek the truth or, or grow in your knowledge. So doubt actually is a big part of the Christian journey or any religious journey that you're on. Uh, the opposite of faith is certainty when you have it all right. And we've all uh, run into people, especially in the church or other religions, that are so convinced they're right. And you look at them and you just, wow, uh, you guys are way off. <laughs> and it's funny, mm. I think all the religions kind of look at each other and say, boy, you really have it wrong because we have it right. And, and that certainty takes away the faith that's needed for life because God doesn't tell us everything. He could have made robots, like you said, but that would be, I mean, it wouldn't be love. It wouldn't be free choice. There wouldn't be uh, any maturing or growing. I think, um, I think yeah. for me, Will, the, the thing that really helped me see this was having children. Because once mm. I had children, I realized 
I want them to understand why I'm teaching them these things. I don't just want them to do what I say. I yes. want them to understand the why. <laughs> yes. And I think God is like that with us. We want our children to grow up and to take responsibility for themselves. I don't want to be... I don't want to move in with my child into college in the dorm room so I can make them do their homework. <laughs> I want them by the time they get to college to do their own homework because they want to succeed in life and they want to learn and they want to be equipped for the career they have chosen. And so for me as a parent, I'm always wanting them to grow up and to take that responsibility to understand it for themselves. And sometimes that means letting them fall on their face, letting them get hurt, mm. letting them fail, letting them make bad decisions so that they learn for themselves. And I as a parent can still be loving and supportive, but I don't want to be telling them when they're 30 some years old, this is what you should do. This is what you should do. I want them to see the right things for themselves. That's uh, so true, and I, I believe that's exactly why God has set things up the way that God has, supporting our ability to make free choices. And we, we probably could spend a whole episode on, on this topic, Rick, so I'm just going to touch it briefly. But I believe that we have to trust ourselves in order to be able to trust God. Hmm. And let me explain that for a moment. Um, often in the church, we're taught not to trust ourselves, yeah. you know, that we're sinful and broken and evil and, and we're always going to go wrong. But here's the problem with that extreme uh, approach is then I'm about to make a decision and I say to myself, well, I think God is leading me to do this. Um, and uh, I think God is leading me to take this job. But then my, this voice can kick in in my head that says, you can't trust yourself, Will. You might have heard of that wrong. You might have gotten it wrong. You're probably wrong. You're a sinful, broken person. And when mm. that voice goes off, now I can't trust God, who may indeed have been leading me that direction. Mm. Because I'm doubting myself so much. Great point. That, that then there's no faith at all at play in the situation. Yeah, And so if we're going to live by faith, we need to learn to trust our ability to discern how to take the next step by faith. Yeah, And the only way to do that is through trying it. Yeah. We just got to try it, trial yeah. and error, and we'll figure it out. And of course, we can get feedback from other people, but uh, we have to trust ourselves enough to try it. And I think that's a misconception in Christianity, especially is that, oh, the world is a scary place, there's sin everywhere, we can't trust ourselves, we can't trust others, and you just create this atmosphere of fear, and mm. you, you create this irrational need for certainty, which of course you can't find in that model. And when I read the Bible, it talks about how God is a loving Father who is always there, who has created a good universe. Now there is sin and there is problems here, but ultimately, it is good, and we have to trust that He will be there, that He will help us in whatever we do, and that this is a good place, and that I can take chances, I can take risks. Uh, I personally don't feel like there's really any bad decisions unless you don't learn from them. Mm. Any decision mm. that you can learn from is still a good decision. 
And God may not, you know, like a good parent, he's not going to prevent us from making every bad decision. But if we learn from it, it has tremendous value. So, you know, this idea that we can kind of be sinless and I'll never make a decision that's wrong or sinful. I mean, those, I think, are false ways of looking at the world and and not the way the Bible supports. Yeah. And if if you want to double check yourself, always ask, is the decision I'm making based on a good principle? Is it based on the principle of love, on the principle of, of goodness, yeah. on, the, on a principle found in, in the Bible? Yeah. And, and that's a way to check yourself. But in specific, you know, no spiritual book can tell you specifically what, what tomato sauce to buy when you're right. standing in that <laughs> aisle or what toothpaste, you know, like yeah. that's so... And it's Colgate, by the way. Um, (laughs) I want to close with a story, at least close my remarks with a story. Um, When I was uh, probably been about 10 years at uh, church that I was at, I started getting the sense, and it was just intuition. I said, you know what? I think it's about time for me to move on. And I didn't say anything to anyone, but it just was kind of this nagging, growing sense that... I think I've done what I needed to do here or as much as I needed to do, but just that sense that the timing was coming. And so eventually uh, I had a conversation uh, with my wife at the time and she was like, oh, but our kids, we have such a great setup here. Our kids are in a great school and life was going well. We had a nice house. You know, the church was going well. Like there was no reason to move. There was no logical, rational reason that we should, and there was a lot of rational reasons we shouldn't move. But it was just this intuition I had. And so I kind of put it aside after talking to my wife at the time. And and then uh, about six months later, uh, I was asked by my employer if I would meet with them and sat down with them. And they said, hey, we have this opportunity. We think you're perfect for it. It's a thing we want to do up in Northern Virginia. And would you be willing to move? And they sold me on the whole thing and why they thought it was great. And once I heard it, just my gut said, oh yeah, that's it. That's the next thing. I'm supposed to do that. But as I'm driving home, Will, I'm thinking, boy, my wife, I've already had one conversation and she was not in all in favor of moving. And my kids have been at the same school their whole life. My oldest daughter was just about to graduate uh, from eighth grade, I guess. Uh, you know, So she's going to finish eighth grade, go into high school. The school she's in was a private school with a high school. And I just started thinking, boy, if I rip her out of school, she's going to be, you know, she's going to go to high school with all new people. That's a terrifying age to have to move. You know, I'm thinking all these negative thoughts about why I shouldn't move, even though my gut is saying, yeah, I think this is the right move. Mm. So I go home, and I before I even tell my wife, I just pray about it. Said, okay, I gotta, you know, gotta see if there's a way that this can work for everybody because I'm not gonna just force my entire family if they're all against it. Uh, that's gonna be a tough thing. And to my shock, after I prayed about it and then finally shared with my wife, she said, "Well, maybe we should consider it." So that was new. And then we started talking about the kids, and she's like, well, I, you know, maybe a change would be good for them in some ways. And I said, but, boy, I just don't want to damage them. I, they've had these good friends in the same school. Well, long story short, we decide that this is the right thing, and we take the, the new job, and we move up to this new location. 
a month after my daughters had started in their new school, my oldest daughter, who I was most worried about because she had had the same friends from kindergarten through eighth grade, and now she's a freshman in a new high school, she comes home and she says to me, just unsolicited, she's like, man, I love it in the new school. (laughs) She said, I can be anybody I want here. And Mm. I just was stunned. And I thought about it. And what she was saying is, for those eight years or nine years from kindergarten to eighth grade, she had been with the same people and she was pigeonholed. The same friends, you know, they all knew who she was and what she was like. And she goes to this new place. And instead of being terrified, she's excited. And I watched her flourish in that new school. She took on leadership roles. And uh, it was just a reminder to me why we need to trust our gut. Yes, yes. Because reason told me, no, you're going to hurt your daughter. And then my gut knew something that I hadn't even thought about or trust God or whatever you want to say, I'm trusting there. When it's the right decision and it works out, you see the good results. Yes. And that that's the perfect story for us to conclude on today, Rick, about this topic. Um, you know, there, there's so much more that we could say, um, but I just want to uh, leave everyone with a with a question, and that is, what what is your process um, for making a big decision, and and does faith and intuition have a part to play for you in that process? And I would invite you to to think through that this week. Maybe talk about it with someone else. Um, but next week. We're going, to, we're going to keep going with The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. And we're going to be looking at guidepost number six, cultivating creativity mm. and letting go of comparison. Mm. Uh, so this is, this is going to be a lot of fun for us to dive in. Uh, so we're, we're definitely looking forward to that. And um, so um, make sure you, you plan to to tune in to our episode next week and also my shirt is blue (laughs) (laughs) Uh, thank you everyone for listening this week you have been listening to best thoughts with dr will johns and dr rick johns tune in to our next episode as we talk about how to cultivate creativity until then Have a great week.